Hi, I'm Chanel, and I will be bringing you the Bible reading for tonight, which comes from Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13, if you want to open with me. So this is Jesus speaking. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Aurora, do I need to go on the stage? Is it easy? All right. Just talk amongst yourselves, have fellowship together while I get set up, all right? It should only take 20 minutes. This mo- Bless you. I was at Hertford Street this morning and conveyed our greetings to that church. They're doing... Thanks, Josh. Very good. <laughs> Oops. Uh, Tonight we are continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel. We're working our way through Matthew's Gospel uh, at night services. And last week, Pastor Charlie would have spoken to you about the introduction to this, where the Lord Jesus is talking about prayer. And he would have reminded you that you need to pray in your closets. Did you do that this week? Go into your cupboards and pray. And about being sincere, not being hypocritical not using lots and lots of words. And this is the second part of the message, the teaching that the Lord Jesus gives on prayer. And it's a passage that we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Not the prayer that he prayed, but the prayer that he gave, which I think is an appropriate title. And it's certainly very well known. It's both in Matthew and in Luke. And we're looking at the Matthew text. um, And that's where most of our focus will be. And I have some, an outline for you. The outline tonight is not my outline, but it comes from another brother from England. His name is J. John, if you know him. He wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. I'm not sure, the last 12 months or so, pretty new. And he has some great insights and great teaching. And so um, I've borrowed some of that, but I've certainly pinched his uh, headings. Um, because this is going to be on the internet anyway, I might as well say it. Um, I did this early on and I stuck my, I locked myself into this outline and then um, by this afternoon I went, oh, actually I think his outline's wrong. But anyway, we're using his outline, so his fault, not mine. Let's pray together. Again, Lord, thanks for the opportunity for us to be together, to learn together. Lord, help us to think about this very familiar passage And not just what it means, but what its implications are for us as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus. I pray that you might be pleased to speak to each one of us, encourage us, strengthen us, shape us to be passionate followers of him. We pray in the name, his name, the name of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Rhonda, my wife, is at home. She has a sore throat, probably COVID, I would suspect. So I need a place to go after this tonight. She's a teacher and she came home with a sore throat. She has no other symptoms, so she doesn't have COVID. Um, But I have a slightly sore throat tonight. 
So I'm not sure if I have to get COVID tested or not. I'll spread the disease first and then find out. So tonight, prayer and priorities. That's what we're looking at. Because coming out of the uh, teaching of the Lord's Prayer, J. John certainly says, this gives us a, a list of God's priorities for us as disciples of the Lord Jesus. And it's a very helpful tool in doing that. The Lord Jesus begins, Matthew 6, verse 9. <clears throat> this then is how you should pray. And many people want to emphasize, this is not what you should pray. This is how you should pray. That's certainly the text in Matthew. <clears throat> Excuse me. That Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't use lots of words babbling on, but be concise and to the point. And the structure of the Lord's Prayer, which we'll look at tonight, is a helpful outline and guideline for us. However, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 2, the Lord Jesus actually says, maybe perhaps on another occasion, he says, when you pray, say... And he gives the same words, the words of the Lord's Prayer. So it is quite acceptable for us to be using this prayer for us to pray or use it as, most helpfully, as an outline of how we can pray. Many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, struggle with prayer. And so here is the Lord Jesus teaching us on a way forward, a way for us to engage in this very important spiritual discipline. There was a church, <clears throat> had a vacant lot next door to it, and a nightclub bought the vacant lot and were going to build on it, both a nightclub and a casino and a pub and all other sorts of associated activities along with that. And the church didn't like that idea, so they gathered together and they prayed, prayed that God would stop it. The building went ahead. The building was almost finished to completion. The church was still praying. And the night of that church prayer meeting, there was a thunderstorm and a lightning strike. And the lightning struck the building, the newly constructed nightclub next door. And the owner of the nightclub, and it burned it to the ground, the owner of the nightclub sued the church. And in America. The church, of course you know, absolved itself of all culpability, and they went to court. The judge, in his verdict, or in his finding, said, this has been a very difficult thing to decide because I have a businessman who believes that God answers prayer, and I have a church that doesn't. <laughs> I don't know if that's a true story, if it's fictitious. Sounds a little bit fictitious. <clears throat> but nonetheless, the point is, prayer is incredibly important. And we say that, but the question becomes, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, are we prayers? Are we praying? How's your prayer life? It's an indicator, a thermometer uh, indication of your spiritual health. If you are a person who is not praying, then you will not be, cannot be, close to the Lord Jesus. Not in a close relationship with God. And that's certainly what he desires for each one of us. He desires, that's why he made us in his image, that we could commune with him, communicate with him and be close to him. That's what he desires. So the Lord Jesus gave this outline in Matthew and as I said in Luke. So let's have a look at it. And J. John uses, uh, I can't remember if it's six, it might be seven, um, P words. You'll be so impressed when you get this. This is how we begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. J. John says, that's beginning with P. 
praise our Father. God is a person. God is a person whom we can communicate with and talk to. I'm not going to say too much tonight that's going to be, I think, new by way of you know, revelation or understanding, but hopefully there'll be some application for you, so please look for that. We can only call God Father if we are his child, if we know him personally through the Lord Jesus. God is the creator of all, but he's not the father of all. He's the father of all who believe in the Lord Jesus. And so this is implying, Jesus says, when we, call, when we pray to say our Father in heaven, that we are calling him our Father. We're talking out of a relationship, that we can know him personally. He's a person and we're a person and people can communicate together. And so there's this relationship that it's possible for us to have. When he says in heaven, that's not his postcode or his address, that's saying that he's exalted above us, that he is a perfect father. We all have earthly fathers, um, assuming, you know, that you grew up with your father. Not everybody does or did. And not all fathers are perfect. <laughs> no fathers are perfect, except our heavenly father. But many fathers are good fathers. They can be reliable, they can be consistent, they can be generous, they can provide. And so when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, if you struggle to call God your Father because of your background or because of whatever's gone on in your own personal life and your relationship with your Father, well then call him something else. Call him Abba. Call him Lord God. But Jesus wants to use this very close relational term, our Father. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people did not call him father. There are one or two exceptions to that. They as a nation would call him father, but individually and personally. For us to call him father means that we are talking about the sovereign majesty of the universe is related to us through his son, Jesus. He's not a dad in terms of, or a father in terms of being a big, huggable teddy bear. But as I said, he is reliable, he is consistent, he is good, he is great, he is gentle, and he is generous. And prayer is the appointed means that he's given for us to talk with him. God expects us to be talking to him, desires it, wants it, and it's good for us. If a husband and wife are not talking, then there's something wrong in the relationship, obviously. Somebody's hurt, somebody's upset, they're not close. So too in our relationship with God. If we're not talking with him, that's an indication. Something's not right. Something's wrong. And if home for you is a place where it's just where you go to get fed and sleep and there is no communication with the other family members, then that's also an indication that something's not right. God made us as people in order to communicate and to share with others, and particularly in family. So most of all, God wants us to call him Father. To be in this close, intimate relationship with him. To be in communion with him. That's what he desires and that's why Jesus teaches this. Hallowed be your name. It's really saying, when we pray, don't focus firstly on your needs or what you want or what's going on for you, but focus rather on God and his person, his character. And when you pray, our Father, hallowed be your name, it's really saying, glory to you. May you be exalted, not just by me and not just by us, our family or church, but by everybody. 
May you be honoured in the world. May everybody recognise who you are and how worthy you are. That's what the Lord Jesus is teaching us. God is a person and he's a person who is to be praised. That's the first point. Secondly, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Purpose. This is realigning ourselves with his purpose. It's refocusing our lives that we are here, not for ourselves, but we are here for him. That he made us in his image for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve him. He's the king. He rules. He rules. He used to rule in us, in our family and close loved ones. And he is to rule ultimately in all areas of our lives and then eventually the world. The reason he is resident in us by his spirit is that he would be the president of us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. He's the king and we are to obey him. And Jesus instructs to do his will on earth in this space-time history in our lives now are just done in heaven. How do the angels obey God in heaven? Instantly, gladly, completely. That's what we're praying, that we do exactly the same in our lives. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In this small bit of territory that I occupy on this globe, that I would be part of his domain, that he would rule. God rules through the whole universe and the only place of rebellion in the universe is on planet Earth. That's where Satan and his demons are confined and that's where we as fallen rebellious sinners likewise live. That's the only place of rebellion in the universe and God is going to bring this planet into submission to his rulership. And that's what we're praying. Your kingdom come into this world of rebellion. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day, God will achieve that completely. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. But until then, we are to do it in our little bits, uh, wherever we occupy. So all of heaven does his bidding. That means, therefore, that because we live in this fallen world, we live in enemy territory. That will come out in this Lord's Prayer. So we... um, will often be going, as we obey him, against the flow of what's natural, normal and acceptable in this world. I think it was Billy Graham who said, when the Lord Jesus spoke about there was a broad way that leads to destruction, there's a narrow way that leads to life, Billy Graham actually said, there's the broad way going that way towards destruction and the narrow way is going up the middle and going the opposite way. You're going against the flow of what the world around you is suggesting and so on. It's a Gethsemane mindset. Not my will, but your will be done. That's the second priority for us in prayer. Realigning our purpose. Why are we here? To serve him, the king, and to obey his will and to achieve his purposes. Then the Lord Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. What P word would that be? Provision. Very good. Give us this day our daily bread. In the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, the focus is upon our Father. And so Jesus is saying, when you pray, firstly, focus upon God, who he is, his person, 
and his purposes and his agenda, his will being done in the world. Pray for that. And then in the second half of the Lord's Prayer, the next three petitions, he'll focus upon the family. It's all plural. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And it's lead us not into temptation. The focus is horizontal, just like the cross. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is vertical and points up to our relationship with God. And the second half of the Lord's Prayer is horizontal, pointing to our relationships in this world. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, provide for us the things that we need in order to live. That's what he's saying. It's not just food, but it's clothes and it's a job and it's health and it's all those other things. That's what's hidden behind this. Interestingly, just for you to know, the word daily was, is only used in the Bible in this passage and it's never used outside the Bible or in the culture that we have discovered. It's a unique word, a strange word, a word that they didn't really understand until archaeologists one day found a list, look, appears to be a shopping list, and the lady of the house has got this, you know, flour and corn and this and this and this, and next to it she's written the word daily, daily, daily. And scholars are saying what we think that means is enough. Flour, enough. Syrup, enough. Sugar, enough. And whatever else is on her list. Give us today our things that we need. Give us just enough, Lord, for today. If you're praying it in the morning, you're praying it for today. If you're praying it in the evening, then you're praying it for the next day, day by day. And it's certainly not just praying for yourself, but it's also you praying for people. This is where the outline varies a little bit. So provision is the third one. Then he goes on to talk about, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is called by Augustine, the terrible petition, pardon. So having focused upon God, his person and his name and his glory, his kingdom and his will, and all that being achieved, then it's what are our personal needs and then what are our spiritual needs, pardon. Not just for ourselves, but also in our relationships, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Augustine called this the terrible petition, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. If we haven't forgiven those who wrong us, then you're really asking God, don't forgive me. That's why he called it that terrible petition. And certainly, awareness of our own need to be forgiven by God, forgive us for our sins, makes it a little bit easier for us to be able to forgive others because what have they done to us compared to what we have done to God it humbles us it transforms us this is what the Lord Jesus is teaching us of when we pray to pray this way and to use these concepts these words these points outlines if you like I don't know what it's like in your house but in our house we make a lot of rubbish and in our kitchen, we have two bins. We use those bins several times every day. Both one bin in the kitchen is for leftover food and scraps and rubbish that you throw out. And another bin is for the recycling stuff, bottles and plastic bottles and cardboard and paper and all sorts of things like that. And lots of times throughout the day, we're getting rid of the trash, we're getting rid of the rubbish. And eventually they fill up 
then you have to take them out. And because I'm the man of the house, that's my job. Apparently. I didn't see that in the contract, but anyway. <clears throat> so I take the garbage out, the rubbish out, and I put it into this really big bin that's got wheels on it, a wheelie bin. One is recycling and one is just green for general rubbish. And that works for about, you know, one or two days, and I go and empty it. And then after another one or two, depending on the week, could be one day, could be two days, sometimes could be three days. My wife is incredible. She can punch stuff into stuff and it just gets fuller and fuller and fuller. But it never gets taken out, I've noticed. It's my job. So then I take that out and I throw that in. And then once a week, this big truck comes. And I put the wheelie bins out the front and he takes away the rubbish. Do you have those bins in your house? I bet you do. What does all that mean? That means you have to regularly get rid of the rubbish. Forgive us for our sins, the rubbish. Do it regularly. Have a system, have a process. Do it regularly. Don't leave it for a week. Don't even leave it for a day. Throughout the day, throw stuff out. And then every couple of days you may need to have a significant time where you have a Removal of the rubbish stuff at confession time. Forgive us as we forgive others. If you struggle, and sometimes we do, don't we? We do upset, we do offend, we do hurt one another. We, don't, we usually don't mean to or intend to, but it just happens. People are so sensitive, aren't they? Feeding them. And we need to forgive them when they hurt us, when they do the wrong thing to us. And if you don't forgive them, if you harbour a grudge within you, you're not hurting them, you're just hurting yourself. And in fact, you're destroying the very bridge that you yourself need to walk across. Which is why the Lord Jesus says, forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who have wronged us, sinned against us hurt us, whatever. Extend forgiveness as you receive forgiveness. Pardon. Very important part of our spiritual walk. Um, oh, whoops. That's where the outline, I, I went, ah, that's in the wrong spot. Jesus is talking about this us. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not just for you, but God is concerned about the people who are hungry, who are homeless, who are sick, who are destitute. Give us Forgive us for our sins and also lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is one petition, it's joined. Lead us not into temptation or times of hard testing, but deliver us. We need protection, the Lord Jesus is saying. We live in a fallen world, we live in enemy territory. And what Jesus, I think, is teaching us is to say, Lord, keep me away from temptation and from hard testing, and don't let Satan ambush me or trap me. One commentator expressed it this way, and I thought it was brilliant, so I'll share it with you. Lord, if the opportunity to sin presents itself, grant that I will not have the desire to sin. If the opportunity to sin presents itself, grant that I won't want to sin, I won't have the desire. If the desire to sin wells up within me, then grant that I won't have the opportunity to do it. It's a good balance, isn't it? This is something we need to be front of the mind, conscious of. 
Temptation are the things that we all have and that we all suffer from and fall into. These are not the things we are revolted by or opposed to. Temptations are the things that we find enticing. And they can be different for all of us. Temptations promise to be fun. They appear not to be bad. We play with them, we flirt with them, we invite them into our imaginations. But behind every temptation stands the tempter. So, Lord, don't put me in a situation where I'm going to give in to temptation. Because Satan's agenda is to seduce me away from living depending on you. That's his agenda. Deliver us. I recognise that I have weaknesses and that Satan has power to influence. And Lord, we need protection. And you've provided it in the spiritual armour that you're given. That's what we're praying. Personal physical needs, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us for our sins, make sure my relationship with you is right and with one another is right. As well as, Lord, spiritually, deliver me from slipping up, messing up. And then verse 13, uh, the Lord Jesus, it's not in the text in Matthew or in Luke. It's not in the original Greek manuscripts in the very earliest ones. But it does appear very early. Uh, It's certainly in latter manuscripts. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Amen. It's a nice way to end the prayer. It's certainly a biblical concept. It's in Chronicles and uh, Revelation and other parts of the scriptures. It's not unbiblical in its concepts. And it appears to have been added very early uh, to the text. Like, I'm open to correction on this. I'm going from memory. I didn't get a chance to check it. But in a thing called the Didache, in like about AD 70 or first century anyway, uh, this phrase is included in the Lord's Prayer. And so J. John certainly included it. So I am tonight. It is a great way to end it. And often when we pray it, people go there. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. What Jesus is saying is that you're the king, you have all authority, you have all power and to you belongs all the glory. The prayer ends by looking up and looking forward. As we pray, we are reminding ourselves that we are visitors in this world and we are to pray for God's will, God's purposes, God's glory and in the As we follow him in this life, we have physical needs. Lord, provide us our daily bread. Forgive us for our sins and protect us from spiritual stumbles and falls. So it's perspective. Reorientate your perspective. The Lord's Prayer, by implication also, and this is done by many authors, not only shows us a pattern of how we should pray, but it confronts us with where we are spiritually. So consider the implications of each phrase of the Lord's Prayer. We cannot say sincerely and mean it, our Father, if I'm living only for me, if I'm not living as his child and acting like it, then to call him Father is hypocrisy, it's insincerity. We cannot say, hallowed be your name, if we are not striving to be holy. We cannot pray, your kingdom come, if we're not doing our part of helping his kingdom come in the lives of others and living it out in ours. Your will be done. Can't pray that if I'm being disobedient to his word. 
I certainly can't pray on earth as it is in heaven if I'm willing to serve him here and now. I cannot pray sincerely, give us this day our daily bread if I'm not generous. Give us this day our daily bread. If God provides for me and he provides generously as he often does, then it's also to share. Forgive us our sins if I harbour a grudge against someone else. I cannot pray, lead us not into temptation if I deliberately place myself in its path or if I entertain it in the imaginations of my mind. I can't pray, deliver us from evil if I haven't put on the armour of God. I can't pray, thine is the kingdom if I'm not totally loyal to the king, his loyal subject. I can't pray, yours is the power if I fear people more than I fear him. And I can't pray, and yours is the glory, if I seek honour and glory for myself. And I can't even say the words forever, amen, if my life is focused and bound by things of this world only. So you see, the Lord's Prayer becomes a very powerful tool, a very powerful um, outline for us to evaluate ourselves spiritually and our walk in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. There's a very old poem called, If Jesus Came to Your House. Well, if Jesus came to your house, when you went home tonight, if Jesus was there, what would happen? Would you be excited to see him? hope so. You probably, he's going to stay a day or two. Give him the best room, wouldn't you? Provide the best food. Say to him, so glad that you're here. Really? Would you keep on doing all the things that you normally do when you get home? Would you keep on saying all the things you normally say if Jesus was there? Would life continue for you as it is? Or what would change? Would the music stay the same? Songs? TV programs? Movies? I hope he likes action stuff. The way you use the computer? Even the words of your conversation of how you talk to as well as talk about people. Your attitudes. What would change if Jesus came to your house? If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, Jesus is already resident in you, present. And the reason he is resident is so that he could be president, Lord, Master, the King. That's what the Lord's Prayer reminds us of. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you said to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in. Fellowship with them and they with me. What a wonderful invitation for any follower of the Lord Jesus who may have drifted from you. Lord Jesus, tonight we ask, Lord, live in us, rule in us. Use us for your purposes, your program, your plan. Use us. Lord, pardon us for anything, for sins that we have done, for wrong attitudes or actions against others. Protect us, Lord, from the evil one and from temptation. Provide for us what we need. 
and help us to rely on you day by day. And Lord, most of all, the centre of this, receive our praise and our honour. May it be through us personally, through us corporately, and Lord Jesus, may you be glorified because we love you and follow you. We pray in your name and for your sake. Amen.